welcome to Elevate Youth. I think you guys know the drill by now. On three, one, two. Someone was like three seconds too early. That's great. You guys, something else sometimes. Cool. Yeah. You're welcome. I got my LaCroix. It's back. Lime flavored this time. I think it's lime. Yeah, it just says lime. Hibiscus? I had that I had that like three weeks ago and I got heckled, so I switched to lime. Alright, alright. Alright, so I need you guys to be a little bit interactive with me tonight. I'm gonna start a famous quote and I need you guys to all finish it in unison. Got it? Okay. All for one and one for all. Alright. Houston, we have a problem. Okay, you guys got it. To infinity and? Yeah. yeah, there we go. There we go. One small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. And <laughs> you, guys, you guys know too much. Okay, so I'm going to be focusing a little bit on that quote. You know, Neil Armstrong, he was first man on the moon in the 60s. And he stepped up on the moon and he said, one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. And so that's what the focusing on tonight is James chapter 2 for all mankind. Because what Neil Armstrong did is he took that step and he dedicated that step for the good of all mankind. So let's pray. Father, I just ask that you give me strength. You give me the words to say. And you give everyone ears to hear. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. All right. How many of you guys believe that you are the favorite child in your household. Raise your hand. How many of you guys believe that you are the favorite child? Grant's hand is like, he's trying, to, he's trying it, he's trying it, okay. <laughs> Jack's over here raising his hand, staring down Landon. It's got, got a stare off over there. Okay, how many of you guys believe that a different sibling is the favorite child? Raise your hand, okay. <laughs> There's a lot more hands, a lot more hands. Now, for a while, in my childhood, for a while, I didn't, have a huge, I didn't have any big reason why I believed this. But for a while, I believed that one of my sisters was the favorite child. I'll give you a hint, it wasn't the youngest one. For a while, I believed that one of my sisters was the favorite child. Again, I didn't have anything to do with it. I, I don't know, it was just a phase I was going through. It was just some insecurity. I don't know what was going on. But for a while, I thought that one of my sisters was obviously the favorite child. Now, I wanted to show you guys a movie clip from a movie called Joseph, what is it, King of Dreams? Okay, I was going to say Joseph, Code of Many Colors, Technicolor Dream Code, I think that's the play. Okay, because I was, that's what I was about to say that. I wanted to show you a clip, and he's up there singing, I am the miracle child. You guys know the song, I'm not going to sing it for you. I was going to show it, but it's actually illegal, it was actually illegal for me to show the clip at church without me paying a small fee, but it was illegal for me to show it without paying a small fee, so I didn't want to pay the fee. So you guys have to just imagine it or go home and watch it. But Joseph, you know, he was the miracle child. He had the coat. He did all the things. He, like, danced with sheep and stuff, and the brothers had to, like, carry stuff on their backs. He was the favorite child. And James, chapter 2, on the very first verse, actually addresses the issue of having favorites. So let's get into it. James chapter 2, which by the way, who read James 2 over the week? 
Yeah, go on. Let's give yourselves a hand, guys. Good job. Good job. Yeah, that's about how many people read it, so that's cool. James 2, let's all read it together. James 2, verse 1 says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes, expensive jewelry. So like a, a rich person walks into the meeting dressed in these fancy clothes. And then another person comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention to the one, special attention and the good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over here or else you can sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So right at the very start, yeah, there's always one. There's always one that's like really late. <laughs> I see you. So right at the very beginning of James chapter 2, he just gets right to the heart of an issue. He gets right to the heart of the issue. If you judge someone, he says, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And so I remember as a kid, I, and it was in fourth grade, I played flag football at Upward Sports at Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. I played flag football kid, fourth grade, and I'll tell you, I practiced a lot. I went out on the field. I tried my hardest, you know, nine-year-old Sean trying his hardest in fourth grade. However old you are in fourth grade, I can't remember. I think it's nine. I was playing flag football, and, you know, I, I was showing up to, like, almost every practice. I did my hardest, but the problem was I never got the ball very often. You know, I never got picked for the quarterback position, and hardly anybody, like, handed me off to running back, and I was never open in the wide receiver spot. And the reason that that is is because our coach, his kid, was also on our team. I know. I know. Our coach's kid was on our team, and I'll t I'm going to say nice words. Um, let's just say the kid just sucked really bad. Like, he was not, he was not good. He didn't even try. I remember one time, I'm, you know, he, we're, we're doing a run play. It was like a fake pass run play. And the, the kid gets the ball, and he's running around. And, the, you know, the defenders, they're chasing him around. He's going like 20, 30 yards behind the line, just trying to avoid these people. And he eventually, you know, gets, you know, flagged, whatever it's called. He's not tackled, but he gets flagged. And we're like 40 yards behind. But anyways, like, I, I don't know. I have a lot of, like, pent-up resentment, I guess, against this kid. But he would always get the ball because the coach favored the kid, and I was on the, I was the victim of the situation. I was the victim of the situation. So having favoritism or, having favoritism or partiality, as some versions call it, is an unfair bias of favor of one thing or person compared with another, right? So um, having favoritism or comparing, really, can be both positive or negative. So like the coach, he didn't necessarily see us in a negative light, but he saw his kid in such a positive light that he had an unfair bias. And as a result, it was almost putting us in a negative light. And the truth is when you show someone favor or showing partiality towards somebody or something, it, the, the root cause is ultimately a root of comparison. Whether that's comparing yourself to that person or you're comparing that person to a different person. You know, when you compare, when you treat someone with a negative bias, then oftentimes that stems from comparing yourself to others or them to other people. And so, just to be honest with you guys, I've struggled oftentimes with looking towards my, my mentors or the people above me and then comparing myself to them. 
And, you know, of course, like, because they're my mentors, they're, they're farther along than I am, but I come up short, and that's discouraging sometimes. But the problem is I'm using others and myself as a system of measurement of how good I'm doing. And Paul actually addresses that in 2 Corinthians. He says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. We will not boast about the things done outside of our area of authority. We will only boast about what has happened within the boundaries of work, of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. You see, God doesn't want us to look to others to comparison or to compare others with other people, but he wants us to keep inside our area of authority and keep inside the boundaries. You know, we're supposed to take God's love and push it further. And how many of you guys are thankful that God doesn't have favorite kids, right? God doesn't have favorite kids. Romans 2, 10 through 11 says, but what we do pleases God. We can expect unfading glory, true honor, and a continual peace to the Jew first and then the non-Jew, for God sees us all without partiality. And again, that word means favoritism. He sees us all without partiality. We're supposed to take God's love and God's heart and push it forward to other people. We're supposed to push it forward. And so to truly love somebody, you need to see them the way that God sees them. You know, I've talked about this before, but we, if we, have, we have to have a filter of God's eyes over our eyes and not just prioritize what we see. We've got to see what God sees. Let's go back to verse 1 of James 2. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith? That, I don't know, that's, that's, a big, that's a big statement right there. How can you claim to have faith if you show partiality? And again, I, want, I, need, the, I need you guys to interact with me a little bit, but who can tell me what faith means? Who can tell me? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. That's really good. Who else? Tyler. Hope in action. I like that. Yeah, back there. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Exactly. Yeah, you trust him with every step you take. So I found a really good definition of faith. Um, it's a definition that a lot of theologians use, and I really liked it. And it says, faith is the leaning of the entire human personality upon God in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. And so a lot of times when you see faith in the Greek, it is the leaning of the entire human personality upon God. And so what James says in James chapter 2, verse 1, how can you claim to have faith? How can you claim that your entire personality and being is leaning upon God and his power, goodness, and authority if you favor some people over others? That is an intense statement. That is an intense statement. How can you believe that God has set people free from condemnation and sin when you are comparing somebody with where they are at instead of where God sees them to be? We may not do this to people, you know, financially. But what about a believer who doesn't have the same, who doesn't believe in the same spiritual gifts as us? You know, what about somebody who's uh, spiritually poor or mature 
In maturity, they are poor or emotionally poor. You know, do we treat them less or do we show favoritism towards our friends that have the exact same beliefs as us versus those that don't? You know, even, you can even take this to non-believers or Christians in different denominations or Christians who are easily swayed by the world, whatever that looks like. James is saying, you cannot, how can you claim to have faith if you're showing favoritism to certain people or others? How can you claim to have faith if you're treating people according to your own comparison methods instead of treating them the way that Jesus treated you when you were lost in sin? You know, we need to look by our own measurement that we will be judged. But the measure we judge others, we will be judged for. And so tonight, I want to I hit on this main point that showing no partiality means giving everyone consistency, acceptance, and mercy according to Jesus' works. Showing no favoritism means giving everyone consistency, acceptance, and mercy according to Jesus' works. And we're going to get into the thick of, thick of all of it. And so tonight I want to show you guys how Jesus did all three of those things and how we can do the same. So number one, consistency for all mankind. We need to show everyone the same amount of love consistently, no matter what sin or lifestyle they are in. And I'm not going to linger on this point too long because I feel like most of us here understand the mission of love. Um, so me and Caitlin had the uh, amazing honor and privilege to preach at Journey this week. They did like a take five, which is like their version of Elevate Voices. It was a lot of fun. And Caitlin said something that I think really applies here. But we don't just tell people that Jesus loves them. We tell them that we love them first and we show the love. John 13 says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, love, if you have love for one another. You know, I said it last week, but you are the only Bible some people will ever see. You are the only representation of Jesus some people will ever see in their entire life. And so here's the thing. If we treat people who have a different perspective or a different lifestyle or different uh, whatever to their condition and to the where they're at, and we show favoritism or we treat them lesser or even if we neglect them or even abuse them with our words or with our thoughts or emotions, then we might be showing them that Jesus' love is the same way, that Jesus' love is conditional. It says they'll know we are, dis we are his disciples by our love. And here's the truth, that no sin is greater than any other sin. And the sin may have different consequences in the natural. You know, for example, um, let's say I lied to Jack. Let's say I told him a, a lie. I know, I know. I told him a small lie, but here's the thing. I, I went up to him afterwards and I was like, hey, Jack, I'm, I just need to confess something. I, I lied to you and I would like to repent of that and I apologize. And of course he says, I forgive you. Yeah, th thank you, thank you, Jack, thank you. And so our, you know, I sinned and I made it right and I repented of that and you know, he forgave me. But what if he gets a, Jack, what, what's your favorite car of all time? Your dream car. What's your dream car? One that gets, okay, so he gets his car that is 100 miles to the gallon. I can't even picture what that looks like. He's probably got like a jet on it. Actually, I don't think that would be it. But he gets, he gets his car that's 100 miles to the gallon on his birthday. And so I thought it would be nice if I took my keys and scratched in his car, happy birthday, Jack. 
I just went, and, like, I snuck into his house in the middle of the night, grabbed my keys, I scratched happy birthday jack onto it. How many of you guys know that God forgave, I repented, God forgave my sin, but I might get a punch in the face from Jack, right? Like, like you know, different, different sins may have different consequences in the natural. I probably have a punch in the face coming. Yeah, I, oh, probably wouldn't. I know somebody would. I don't know. Maybe somebody else would. But sin to God is sin. You know, he died for it all. He paid for it all. And if we act like our sin is lesser than someone else's, we're only deceiving ourselves. John 1, 8 says, if we have no sin... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. If we look down on somebody who is struggling with different like uh, thoughts, whether that's like lust or there's trapped in pornography, whatever that is, but we are stuck in our own sin then we're deceiving ourselves. We can't treat other people lesser who are struggling um, through things. And so again, there may be different consequences in the natural. There may be different levels of healing and redemption of mind and emotions. But it's all been forgiven. And so he continues the chapter and and verse 8 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as you found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. He's saying it really clearly right there. You're guilty of breaking the law. For a person who keeps all the laws except for one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but don't commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So point number one is consistency for all mankind. Point number two, acceptance for all mankind. And I just want to make something clear that acceptance doesn't mean affirming, right? Acceptance is welcoming somebody where they are at, where they are at, and affirming is saying it's okay to stay there. Accepting is, acceptance is, some, is welcoming somebody where they are at, and affirmation is saying it's okay to stay there. There's a big difference there. You know, Jesus, when he walked on earth, he walked with tax collectors and sinners, I always thought it was funny that the Bible includes tax collectors and sinners in the same breath. Like, you've got sinners, bad, dirty sinners, and then you've got the tax collectors over here. Like, I don't know. It always just struck me weird. But that's just how they saw them. But he walked with tax collectors and sinners, and he accepted them right where they are at. But he said, it's not okay to stay here. I will always love and accept every person that walks through these doors. But at sometimes it is the best thing to do is to say, hey, in a loving way and having a relationship with that person is it's not okay to stay here because we don't know what lifestyle may be damaging. You have to speak the truth in love. And Pastor Sean said it a few weeks ago that it's possible to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth in love, but it's possible to speak the truth in division or in hatred. You can, you can sow your word of truth, but the Bible says you have to do it in love. In leadership, there's a quote that says, go hard on the issue, but soft on the person. And God has been working in me um, about anger. It's something, again, just being honest with you guys, God's been working in me about anger, about having righteous anger. Because, I don't know, I get angry at giant corporations like Amazon. Does anybody else feel the same way? 
I don't know, I might be alone in here. I get angry at these giant corporations. It's like, you know, you, you mistreat your employees, you don't pay them well, then you just fly off to space and whatever, you know, like, I don't know, I just, something in me just rises up with this anger. And every time I see Amazon, I just get this anger boils up. And oftentimes I'm seeing Amazon because I'm ordering something from Amazon. But like, <laughs> I don't know, something in me just boils up and it's like, ah, oh, oh, I don't know what to do about it. And I just get angry and, and I don't know. I was talking to God about it one time because it was getting a little bit out of control, honestly. And I was like, God, I don't know. I feel like I have this anger for a reason, and I, I don't know what to do with it. I don't, do I just throw it away? Do I suppress it? Do I need to redirect it? And God was showing me that you're not supposed to get angry at people or corporations in the natural, but you need to get angry at the spirit behind that. You know, you're mad at Amazon. You're angry at Amazon because of the greed and the negligence. Don't get mad at Amazon. You know, it's good to hold them accountable and stuff. But your anger needs to be directed towards the spirit behind that. As long as the anger doesn't steal your peace. As long as the anger doesn't steal your peace. You know, Ephesians 6, 12 lines that up and says, Our fight is not against people on earth. We are fighting against the rulers and authorities and the powers of the world's darkness. We are fighting against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. So instead of getting angry at Jeff, I need to get angry at the spirit behind that and deal with that and go to war in the spirit behind that. And the same is true with the people we encounter. You know, we need to, we need to not be angry at the people or the corporations or our teachers or our bosses or any of that. No matter what they say, we need to get angry in our quiet time and have spiritual warfare over the spirit behind that. I can't share all the details, but, you know, at our married group with, that me and Caitlin go to, um, one, of our, one of our friends was telling the story about how she went to spiritual warfare against a strong unbeliever that was really set in her faith. And she just decided to go to spiritual warfare against the spirit behind that. And then just all of a sudden, that person came up to her and started talking about Jesus when that was, like, unheard of. That we need to get angry, not at the institutions or the movements, but instead at the spirit behind that. Instead, turn your anger into a prayer and ask that they are delivered from the powers of darkness. So number one is consistency for all mankind. Number two is acceptance for all mankind. And last thing is mercy for all mankind. James chapter 2 Verse 12, so we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And remembering that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. And here, listen to this, so by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. I really love that phrase. You take dominion, you take control, you dominate judgment in their life and in your life. By showing mercy to others, we're taking dominion both for us and for them. And so the most important thing to understand here is that, yes, we're called to show mercy to everyone around us. But they need the mercy from Jesus. You know, it's great to have mercy from us, but they need mercy from Jesus. And Jesus' love is always unconditional. But his mercy, I believe, is conditional. His mercy is conditional. It's an easy, easy condition, but it's still conditional. It's conditional to their heart following Jesus. It's conditional for them giving them life, their life to Jesus. It's not automatic. It won't just happen. You know, that's why we have free will. 
His mercy, his love is always unconditional. He always has unconditional love for everyone, but they need his mercy. They need him in his, they need him in his life, in their life. And our job as believers is not to cast judgment on others, but is instead to be bearers of the good news of the love and the mercy of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will do the rest. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. And there are times that we absolutely need to call out certain things and other people, but it must always be under the leadership and the umbrella of God's love and God's leadership. So I want to invite the worship team. They're going to come back up now. I'm going to read this verse out of Romans 10, 9. It says, because if you confess your sin, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe the key phrasing right there is believe in your heart. You know, some of us, we've fulfilled the first part of that phrase that we've confessed with our mouth. You know, we, we might be able to remember back a time when we were six and we were at camp and we said, yes, God, I give my life to you. And we confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but we may not actually believe it in our heart. It may not actually, our heart may not reflect that. If we were to look at the story of our heart and the condition of our heart right now, it may not reflect our words that Jesus is Lord. And the truth is we need to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my Lord, both in our words and in our actions and our lifestyles. So right now I wanna ask everyone to just take, stand up right now And we're just going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And we're going to allow and invite the Holy Spirit to do a work inside of us. And if the prayer team, they they can come on up on the sides here. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you in tonight. God, I ask that you you reveal in us what needs to change. God, I just take take a stand right now and just draw a line and just call out any spirit of resentment, any spirit of judgment, that we just take a stand right now and say no more. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you just do a work inside of us, do a work that only you can do, God. God, just draw out all the good things. Let us see with your eyes who the world is and who you are. In Jesus' name.